0: Good to see everybody that's here today and hearing those that are in the parking lot as well. Welcome. You know, life, it only makes sense when you look at it backwards, but we have to live it forward. How many of you would agree with that statement? How many of you disagree with that statement? That's okay. You can disagree. It's not my statement. How many would say life doesn't even make sense when you look at it backwards? Okay, that may be true. Life always doesn't seem to make sense. But somehow, the God of the universe seems to create order out of chaos, even in our personal lives. Life doesn't always go as planned. And it rarely, if ever, makes total sense. I think we can all agree on that. And only when we look back can we see a pattern, we can see a a purpose, we can see a plan. And then we begin to trust in this Father God that somehow makes us make sense of it all. Well, over the next four weeks, starting today, we're going to be looking at a story, a narrative, that describes the making of a leader, the making of a leader. And for this young man, his life probably did not make a lot of sense going forward. In a 13-year period, this guy named Joseph has more ups and downs than a skier on moguls. More changes in his life than a brand new parent of newborns or toddlers. More obstacles to overcome than anyone on the survivor. And all of this is preparation for something big. I mean, really big, really big. Leadership, leadership. What what is leadership? How does it work and how important is leadership? Most people watch history happen. Leadership makes history happened. Leadership is of critical importance today. And all we have to do is look around the world and look around our nation and we see where leadership is working and where leadership is not. We need leaders today, desperately need good leaders today at the national level, the state level, the local leaders, spiritual leaders, family leaders. We need leadership. Many institutions today are in crisis because of a lack of good, godly, sound Leadership Leadership is very important, especially in the rapidly changing world in which we live. Eric Thurman says, leadership is like a dog sled team. If you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. Leaders lead through scenery changes. We need leadership to lead us through changes, changes in our world, in our, in our nation, communities and families. And today, as we begin this series on Joseph, we're going to see a young man who begins as a 17-year-old teenager, never too soon to start leadership, 17-year-old teenager, and he ends up as the prime minister of the greatest nation on earth at the time. How does God, over a 13-year period, make Joseph a leader? How does He prepare him for leadership? The building up times, the breaking down times, the testing, successes, the training, the failures. And I want us to look at each major event in the life of Joseph Joseph, and see how each circumstance prepared him to lead. And we're going to try to apply each one of these lessons to our lives today. See how God uses everything, literally everything in our lives, to prepare us for the future, to prepare us to lead. Today, the making of a leader. And since this chapter, the first chapter we're going to read today, sets the tone for everything, I'm going to read the whole chapter 37. Now, what are the dangers of, of approaching a very well-known text, whenever I read this, when I get to chapter 37, if I'm reading through my devotions, I can't stop till the end of Genesis. I have to, I have to read right through. Well, we're going to look at, at portions of it, and uh, one of the dangers is that some people know this very well. I don't want to assume everybody knows everything about Genesis, so we're going to read it, chapter 37 today, and go through it and, and then talk about the making of a leader, the beginnings of this. The story of Joseph, chapter 37, and it's on page 31 in the Bible if you want to follow in on the Bible in the rack in front of you. Genesis 37, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man, seventeen, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been bored to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that the father loved him more than any of them, he, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bound down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because he had this dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze his father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are gazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, and I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if it all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering in the fields, asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here. He said, I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers, and they found him near Dothan. But when they saw him in the distance, before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Do not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. The had said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Probably a good thing. As As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see if it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, In mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Now, I'm going to encourage you during the next four weeks to read this through, okay, just so you know what's coming up. We're not going to be able to look at every single detail, but just just read it through and... uh, Uh, get your insight, because God will... Every time I read this, I see something new, so I know you will too. So let's look at the making of a leader, setting the background. Let's start with Roman numeral one, the person God chooses, the person God chooses. When God wants to make a leader, He always starts with some raw material. And there are certain character traits He's looking for. We find those character traits in Joseph, this one person that God chooses to be a leader. Joseph was probably like any other teenager of his day. He was young, he was energetic, he was outspoken, and he's probably overconfident. Okay? None of us ever had that problem. He probably had a positive self-image, and he was obviously loved by his parents. In fact, a little too obviously actually. And I'm sure he struggled with favoritism shown him. Uh, none of us like to be singled out. I mean, we don't mind being the favorite as long as nobody knows. Okay, that's okay. And the results, what were the results of that? It was alienation from his his brothers alienation so what were some of these character traits that god started with with joseph raw materials and you know, what can we learn first one has to do with loyalty joseph was loyal letter a He's loyal loyalty is a crucial character trait for leadership now in this hebrew culture loyalty to parents was top priority absolute top priority the son was obligated by loyalty to tell things to their father now we see it as being a snitch or as a tattletale or something like that. But literally, to Joseph, to report good or bad on his brothers was a demonstration of loyalty. It had nothing to do with that. Now, they don't address his motives, so we don't know his motives or, you know, or his intentions or the why, but just his actions he reported to his father. Now, when we think about loyalty, if we define loyalty... It's not just telling a person what they want to hear. I was in a, I was in a meeting once with uh, um, my superior as I was, st- I was on staff at a church, and, and we were talk- We had a consultant come in and wanted to define loyalty. We were looking at staff and, and concepts, and, and um, this consultant said, uh, I want you to define loyalty. Kay? And so th- this, this particular leader I had said, loyalty is um, just doing whatever I tell them to do. Okay, I, did, I, just, I didn't say anything at that point. Then he turned to me and asked me. And I said, well, my definition of loyalty is, is telling the truth, keeping disagreements in the room, but basically staying together, supporting your leader. But if I don't tell the truth, I'm not being loyal. It's not blind loyalty. It's, it's speaking one's mind. Loyalty is, is speaking truth in love. Now, one can speak truth without love, but you can never love without speaking truth. And if we're truly loyal to someone, we must, by love, speak truth, speak truth. Loyalty. The second the person God chooses is also submissive. Joseph was obedient to his father. He was asked to do some uncomfortable things. I, I'm not sure he liked doing the reporting job. I'm sure not. But he obeyed. And one of the things that, to be a leader... One must first learn what it is like to be under authority before we can be in authority. Being under authority before we can learn to be in authority. We all want to be independent. We don't want to be under anybody. You know, we're the land of the free, home of the brave, we're independent, and we don't like to be under anybody. But you know what? Ultimately, we are all under someone's authority, and we can only exercise the authority that is given us by our leader. Now, if you've been in the military, you understand this better than anybody. If you've ever served in the military, you know this. You know that the colonel, if you're in the army, the colonel can only exercise the authority that is granted him by the general or his commanding officer. He can't just go off and do his own thing. He has to do what the general says. And then the major can only do what the colonel says. If the colonel tells him the major, is you go down to the captain, can only do what the major says, etc. And you understand that They carry out orders in line or accountability and authority. Now, no matter where we are, we always have somebody that's in our authority somewhere. And we must understand what it's like to be under authority if we're going to ever be in authority. Leadership demands the understanding of this concept of submission to authority. Thirdly, the person God chooses knows right from wrong, letter C, knows right from wrong, they understand moral values, know what is just. They, they keep those boundaries. How many, le- how many leaders do you know who blur the lines between right and wrong? Leadership demands that we know right and wrong. Fourthly, honest, honest, that actions are based on truth and integrity. We see a lot of examples today of what happens to leaders that lack integrity or honesty. Integrity or honesty. One of the major reasons we have problems with big corporations today is that business schools in America rarely have, uh, have classes on ethics. Do you know that? They get this business degree, they know all this stuff about business, they go off and lead, but they've never learned ethics, right and wrong. It's true. It's amazing. And then there are politicians, but we won't even go there. Ethics. Letter E, spiritual. If a person is to be a leader, they must be spiritual. Joseph was spiritual. Joseph was spiritually discerning. Now, how do we know that? Now, back then, they did not have the Scriptures. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Word of God to help guide them. And God spoke, not often, but He would speak through direct revelation or divine revelation. And in this particular case, He spoke through dreams. And we find all throughout the Old Testament, God spoke There are times he appeared like to Abraham and talked to him directly in a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. That's a whole different thing, called a theophany. But in this particular case, God spoke to Joseph through a dream, a dream. Now, Joseph had dreams. Having a dream like he did was an important event, and you would never consider keeping a dream to yourself because dreams were considered direct revelation from God. God and they must be shared. You don't want to keep a secret. It wasn't just a pizza you had the night before. It was God speaking to people through dreams. He did that. And I believe Joseph has been unfairly roasted by a lot of people because he shared those dreams. I don't think so. And the proof of the dream's validity is shown by how seriously his brothers took those dreams. One reason they wanted to get rid of him is because they were afraid his dream would come true. So A dream was considered a revelation from God, and it needed to be shared, and He did. Leaders must be spiritual and discerning. And that that doesn't necessarily mean we have it in dreams today, although that does happen. That's how God spoke back then. How does God speak today? He speaks directly to us. Yes, He does, but He speaks primarily through the the Word of God, the Bible. And, and being spiritual is understanding and reading and digesting and meditating on the Word of God. Spiritual and discernment. And then God does speak directly to people. He, he does. And, 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 of course, it needs to always line up with the Word. It can't contradict the Word of God or it's not from God. But basically, God speaks. And people, leaders, sometimes need supernatural discernment based on the Word of God, but it may not tell you the kind of budget that your company needs exactly, but the principles are in the Word of God. You can work with that. But basically, you need discernment as you pray and seek God. Spiritual. The person God chooses, number six, has good character. Good character. What, I, what do I need, mean by character? I draw a contrast. It's not, not original with me, um, but it's a, a personnel consultant that I work with, and he talks about the difference between character and personality. Character and personality. Personality is what we see and what we allow other people to see. That's personality. Character is what we truly are. Personality and character. And everyone sees our personality. We may or may not let people see our true character, you know, those are especially if there's a contradiction between our personality and our character. We may not let people see the character, especially our character flaws. I know nobody here has any of those, but if you have a character flaw, the other people have character flaws. And our character comes out when under pressure. Our character comes out when under pressure in tough times, when we're opposed and when we're abused and when we're used. The real me comes out when? When I'm squeezed. When I'm squeezed. What happens when you squeeze a lemon? What comes out when you squeeze a lemon? What comes out? What, most people say lemon, lemonade. Actually, whatever's in the lemon comes out. What is it, whatever's inside the lemon comes out. When we get squeezed, what comes out? <laughs> whatever's inside. Whatever's inside our true Character. When we get squeezed, whatever's inside comes out, it squirts right past her nice personality into the open. So it happens. That's why so many have surprises after they get married. She married you for your great personality. And under the squeeze of marriage, your true character squirts out. You know, it's kind of what happens. (laughs) And my wife said, Amen. Under pressure, both the good and the bad, the character comes out when under pressure. It's interesting verse Luke 6:45 says this The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for out of the overflow of his heart his mouth speaks True character is rarely revealed when everything's going great Everything's going great we don't yeah I don't need character I'm doing great on my personality okay No it's character True character comes when we are under pressure Leadership, the person God chooses. So God chooses those character qualities. So how is God going to make Joseph into a great leader? What what does this have to do with us today? Let's look at the process God chooses. It's Roman numeral two, the process God God uses. Most of us will probably not go through the process Joseph did, but most of us will not have the same demands of leadership that Joseph had placed on him. What process did God use? First of all, letter A, he built him up. He built him up. Joseph was loved. He was cared for. He was treated special. He was given this this coat of many colors, which was an expression of love uh, and specialness from his parents. He was positively encouraged. He was taught morality, right and wrong. He was built up, and that's, that's important from that standpoint. I've always said that the job of the parent is to build up our children, give them positive self-image, encourage them. There's enough stuff out in the world that's going to tear them down. There are enough obstacles out there that it's going to be tough out there. And I've just said, uh, whatever we do, let's build our children up. It's critically important that we build and give them positive affirmation. Because like Joseph, sooner or later, they're going to experience the next phase, which is he was torn down, Let her be torn down. If all we experience is positive affirmation our whole life, we grow up naive and arrogant and spoiled and selfish. No adversity means no growth. Being built up is the beginning of character development. The next part is the refining process. The refining process. Oh, and God has a right to refine us. He has a responsibility to develop us. I remember one time in my life... um, I was complaining. I, I only did that once or twice. Um, I was complaining to God about my circumstance, what I was going through, how he made me, where he put me. It's just, you know, it's one of those conversations you have with God and he doesn't strike you dead. He kind of listens first and then. And so I was complaining about this and I was very angry with where I was at this point in time. And I was getting ready to have my devotions and read the word. And so that, that kind of what happens. I was ha- happened to be in Romans at the time. And I was reading Romans 9, and got to verse 20, and this is what I read. "'But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Guilty. Shall, Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this?' I had just said those words. I had said, why did you make me like this? Why am I in this circumstance? "'Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use?' What if God, choosing to show His wrath and make His power known, bore with great patience the object of His wrath prepared for destruction? What if He did this to make the riches of His glory known to the object of His mercy, whom He prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom He also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? He goes on to talk about how Pharaoh was an instrument of God for His glory, which was His choice. See, we are raised up for... God's purposes, God's purposes. And at this point in time, I, I visualized a lump of clay on a potter's wheel. How many of you have done pottery? Okay, how many of you have done the potter's wheel? Okay, okay, you know this far better than I do. I was terrible at pottery. I took it, took it in junior high shop. I took a little bit of class. But anyway, the potter's wheel, it's an amazing thing. In, there, there's a lump of On that potter's wheel, in that lump are all the potential ingredients for this beautiful work of art. And slowly, as the wheel turns and the potter begins to shape a pot, movement plus pressure equals change. Okay? Movement plus pressure equals change. And the clay says, I was happy the way I was. What are you doing to me? I keep going around and around. I'm I'm getting dizzy. What's going on here? Well, God took circumstances to take this clay that was Joseph and shape this rough clay of Joseph's life. How do you do that? There there are different circumstances, and we just see a few of those here. Um, What were the circumstances? Envy and jealousy were, were one of the instruments. Joseph bore the burden of favoritism, and there was envy. Envy. Now, we don't necessarily need favoritism to produce envy. You may have been successful in something, and people are envious of you, but envy... You know, you can be a recipient of envy. Envy. Then there was hatred. His brothers hated Joseph for his good fortune. There was isolation or incarceration. They wouldn't speak to him. Thrown into a cistern or a pit. They plotted his demise. There's injustice. There's betrayal. Sold out for 20, 20 pieces of silver. Now, I don't know, as you look back on your life, that makes total sense now. Have you ever been the recipient of any kind of abuse, envy or jealousy? Hatred or isolation, deceit or plots against you, injustice or betrayal. Most people I know at some point in time have experienced one or all of those things, especially betrayal, built up and torn down. And sometimes it happens simultaneously in our life circumstances. Your experience may be similar or totally different, but... Like all of us, it doesn't make sense living it forward. It just doesn't make sense. So what does this have to do with learning leadership? We can only lead where we ourselves have gone. We can only lead where we ourselves have gone. Life can be cruel. Many people are devastated and destroyed. We see so much brokenness in our world today. Leaders are here to protect people, to keep them going, to lead by example. Leaders who have never experienced what their followers have experienced have no empathy. They cannot understand. They cannot identify. People who have never had tough times are arrogant, proud, self-righteous, and they give trite answers like, like, I'm never sick. If you're sick, just Just exercise. Just exercise, that's the answer. Or you've never had financial problems. If you just manage your money, money properly and read Dave Ramsey, you, you, they'd be all over. You'd be fine. Or if they've never been unemployed, just say, just, just get a job, just get a job. If they've never suffered depression, they'll just say, go home and read your Bible. That's what it's there for. Just, it, it'll work, okay? We, we minimize this. If we've never been through stuff, we can't identify. We give trite answers and say, it's easy. Don't worry about it. Leaders, the greatest leaders can identify with the hurts of their people. They have experienced them too. So there's being built up and and then there's tearing down. And it doesn't make sense at the time. There was a boxer named Reuben Hurricane Carter. Reuben Hurricane... Carter. And on June 17, 1966, two black men strode into the Lafayette Grill in Patterson, New Jersey, and shot three people to death. Reuben, Hurricane Carter, a celebrated black boxer, and an acquaintance were falsely charged and wrongly convicted of the murders in a highly publicized and racially charged trial. The fiercely outspoken boxer maintained his claims of innocence and became his own jailhouse lawyer. After serving 19 years, he was found innocent and released. As a free man, Carter reflected on how he responded to injustice. This is how he responded to injustice. He said, the question invariably rises. It was before and it will again. Reuben, are you bitter? Are you bitter? And in answer to that, he said, I will say, after all that's been said and done, The fact that the most productive years of my life between ages of 29 and 50 have been stolen. The fact that I was deprived of seeing my children grow up. Wouldn't you think I have a right to be bitter? Wouldn't anyone under those circumstances have a right to be bitter? In fact, it would be very easy to be bitter. But it has never been my nature or my lot to do things the easy way. If I've learned nothing else in my life, I've learned that bitterness only consumes the vessel that contains it. Bitterness only consumes the vessel that contains it. And for me to permit bitterness to control or infect my life in any way whatsoever would be to allow those who imprisoned me to take even more than the 22 years they've already taken. That would make me an accomplice to their crime. Wow. It's from the book The Miraculous Journey of Reuben Carter. Bitterness. Oh, man. We can go a long ways with that. If anybody had a right to be bitter, Reuben did. If anybody had a right to be bitter and seek recourse and revenge, Joseph did. Who else in the Bible had a right to be bitter? I'm talking about a lot of people experiencing injustice. Think about King David. He was serving Saul, the king, and Saul was sending out people to kill him, and he had to run into hiding for years like a hunted man. His own son, Absalom, tried to kill him. David was an incredible leader. Who else? The prophets Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, great leaders all throughout the Bible times. They had a right to be better. They didn't deserve this. Great leaders. Who else? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, the greatest leader of all times. Now, what kept all these leaders from trying to strike back? We may need to have help here because of that. What kept these leaders from trying to strike back or get even? Bottom line is faith. Faith, faith in God, that belief that God is still in control and that He does allow us to go through tough times and experience adversity, even at the hands of other people from time to time. Why? We'll see it as we go through this story. To prepare us, to purge us, to refine us, to perfect us, so he can use us. Life. It only makes sense living forward. doesn't make sense living forward, only looking back. It's like the fire burns away the useless. Stormy winds blow away the the chaff. The pressure squeezes out impurities. And even we don't know all those things inside of us yet that need to be removed. We don't know. Until they're squeezed out of us. We go, wow, I didn't know that was in me. I didn't know that was part of my character. I kept that hidden for a long time. I guess I need... be changed. Before God can use us, many times He has to break this clay pot, remold it, remake it into something better. And God is in control. We must believe it. We must believe it. It's life. It only makes sense when you look at it backwards, but we have to live it forwards. Third, let's look at the providence of God, the providence of God. In 1985, I shared this, sto- this story in the, in the Sermon, the Perfect Storm. Some of you say, he's not going to remember he told a story before. I, I remember it. Okay, but I'm just going to tell it again. It's a great story. In 1985, we were moving from Cedar Rapids, Iowa to Washington State. It was December, not a great time to move. My cousin, who was helping me drive the truck, and I had been driving for 20 hours straight. We were men. You know, we were going to drive the whole thing. And we had just gassed up at a truck stop, and we were a mile out of Ellensburg in eastern Washington, three hours from our destination over the Cascade Mountains, three o'clock in the morning. And the Ryder rental truck had a blowout. It was close to zero degrees. And I was tired. I was cranky. I was mad. I was mad at God. It was one of those times you tell God what you really think. We were almost there. Why did this happen now? Well, my cousin stayed at the truck. I had to go and try to hitch a ride back to the truck stop so that we could, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. I was going to th- try to find, get a hold of the rental company, and we can do that with three. If you ever tried to get a hold of the rental company at three in the morning, it, it don't, just wait. It's not, it doesn't work. I was on the phone, on the phone, on hold, on, yeah, it didn't work. Finally, at seven in the morning, I got a hold of somebody, because I needed permission for them to do that, so they gave him permission, so about eight o'clock, in the morning, we finally got out. They started to put the tire back on. Five-hour delay, six-hour delay, and we were finally back on the road. And I was seething, and I was tired. I was not any more nice than I was when we got the blowout. We hadn't gone more than five miles when I, we saw what the delay saved us from. In the middle of the night, an ice storm, very, very unusual in this part of the country in the winter, an ice storm had come, and o- come over Snoqualmie Pass, and there were literally dozens, dozens of cars and trucks in the ditch from black ice all over the place. The, tr- the pass had been closed, everything was a disaster out there. Now, at, at 9 in the morning, the, the roads were salted, they were sanded, and the pass was open. To this day, I know God only saved us from disaster. But he also saved my life. Judy's piano was in the back of the truck. If anything happened to it, she would have killed me. (laughs) That's providence. Providence. God's delaying something, and I'm complaining. God's delaying, and I'm, I'm complaining. But life, it only makes sense when you look at it backwards. You know, I can see it now. You know, Joseph didn't know what God was doing. He didn't know why he was doing it. He just believed that God would take care of him. His brothers threw him in a well, but no well is so deep enough to hide him from God. Then they sold him into slavery in Egypt. Well, you know what? God is in Egypt too. God's in Egypt too. There's nowhere we can escape from the presence of God. My favorite psalm of all time, Psalm 139, 7 to 10, says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from Your presence? If I go up to the heavens, You are there. If I make my bed in the depths, You are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there Your hand will guide me, Your right hand will hold me fast. We don't always know why we have the circumstances we have. They may be caused by our own mistakes, our own miscalculations, our own sin. They may be the result of someone else's envy or hatred or jealousy or whatever. But God is still God, and God is still present, and God is still in control. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. I just need to know who. Who. Life. It only makes sense when you look at it backwards, but we have to live it forwards. In preparation for leadership, Joseph said, I still believe in God and God's providence. And instead of bringing the worst out of Joseph, it brought out the best. And when we really do believe God is in control, it can bring the best out of us. And in reality, there's a greater purpose that we can see because God has a plan that's bigger. It's bigger than all of us. Let's look real quickly at the plan of God. Roman numeral four, the plan of God. In Genesis 15, God is speaking to Abraham. He's just given him this covenant promise, and then he tells him his plan. It's not the plan he had in mind. It's not the, nobody had this in mind. It's like, what, what, what is this? Genesis 15, it says, and the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they'll come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. There's a lot, lot in there. Basically, it says God has a plan. This was God's message to Abraham. He has a plan. Now, I can't see it now, Joseph couldn't either, but God's plan was bigger than Joseph, far bigger than just the Israelites, far bigger than one nation, one people, or one generation. God's plan included the entire world for all time, and you, yeah, you, you are part of that plan. You are part of that plan. God sent Joseph down to Egypt to prepare the way to preserve Abraham's family for the Exodus event to come, the central event of their history, the establishment of the Ten Commandments, the establishment of a nation, a possession of land through whom eventually the Messiah, Jesus, would come. See, God had this plan. Joseph had no clue. We, We look at it backwards and we say, wow what a plan. Joseph was sitting in that pit. Later he was chained to the rest of the slave train. He could have never known the plan. Never known the plan. We're kind of like the young boy. There was a young boy who wanted to see a parade and there was a fence along the, the parade route and the only way he could see the parade was through this little knothole. hole. And so he glued his eye up there and he could see one thing at a time coming by. All these marvelous floats and animals and fire trucks and all that stuff. He could only see one thing at a time. Finally got a bright idea and he said, I'm going to do better. And he looked around and he found this big oak tree and he was able to climb up. When he got up to the top of the oak tree, he could see the whole parade beginning to end. It was amazing difference. See, in our life, we're like that boy. We see through a knothole. hole. Just a little part at a time. First Corinthians says we look through a dark glass. Can't really understand it. God sees the whole prayer. God sees the whole plan. It's something that Stephen spoke about in Acts 7, but we don't have time to get into that. Runs through the Old Testament and culminates at the cross. The rejection of God's chosen delivers through envy and unbelief of their own families. Who would think? Yet this very rejection is the instrument in bringing about God's deliverance for us today. That's that's a big plan. That's a big plan. We see through that knot hole. God sees the whole picture. Life, it only makes sense when you look at it backwards. But we have to live it forwards. And it's good we get to live it forwards because then we can learn to walk by faith and trust in God for every detail of our life. He sees it all, the backwards and the forwards, the making of a leader. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you see everything and you have a plan and I pray God as we continue to go through our life Father there are people at various aspects of that the the building up and tearing down every aspect is represented here today and you know where every person is and I pray Lord even as a as we as a nation and as a country and as a as a state are dealing with all kinds of things you see the plan we see the now that's all we can see right now But I pray that you will help us to grow in confidence knowing that you are in control and that we have nothing to worry about, that you are the God, the sovereign God. And we thank you that you've included us in your plan. And I pray, God, that you'll give us confidence, you'll lift our hearts and our spirits, and that we will leave today optimistic, not in circumstances, but in the greatness of our God, in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand, shall we?